Good morning. Our reading for this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verse 36, to Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money which you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. I think most of us would agree that um, more and more it seems like we're living in a world where deception and manipulation is just kind of expected. We, we expect to run into it often everywhere we turn. We expect dishonesty or lies or someone trying to use us in some way to happen. I'm not sure it's happening more or we just hear about it a lot more because of uh, all the changes in communication. But it does have an impact upon us when we again and again just run into deception. I think it changes the way that we tend to relate to people when we encounter it again and again. It causes us to kind of put up a cocoon around ourselves to protect ourselves because we're not sure what's real and what's not. Uh, I was thinking back to when I was a young man and started a new job at Summit County Jail in Akron, Ohio. Uh, When I went into the jail, I wasn't sure what to expect. I'd never done a job like that, but it turned out the thing that shocked me the most in that first week that I was there was not really the stories and the issues that I encountered with the men and women who were incarcerated there, it was actually the, the level of cynicism I encountered in the counselors and the deputies who I worked beside. I was, I was kind of taken back and shocked by just how cynical and kind of the hard shell that I ran into sometimes when it came to talking about the people that we were there to work with. Uh, I pretty quickly came to understand why it was there because I found it in myself pretty quickly growing and developing in that hard shell and self-protective shell. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, we were often, not everybody by any means, but many people there 
who we were dealing with, were people who were very experienced in and sometimes very skilled in deception. We're skilled in dishonesty. We're sometimes skilled in manipulation. And you ran into it so often that you started wanting to protect yourself. And I found there that the, the skill of a counselor or a deputy that was kind of most admired was if you're someone who won't be played. I mean, that was, that was a badge of honor. No one plays you. You see through the deception. You know when it's there. Uh, and I had to remind myself often, because I would find myself getting caught up in that, remind myself often, if that's all I'm doing, if all I'm doing is making sure I don't get played, I'm accomplishing nothing. I can stay home and do that, right? The whole reason I took the job, the whole reason I was there was to have a positive impact, a meaningful impact in the lives of the men and women with whom I counseled. If I lost sight of that and it only became about not being played, it was meaningless. Now, if I wanted to do that job well, then I had to be someone who wasn't naive. I had to be aware sometimes deception was happening. I had to be careful about manipulation because I can't be helpful if I'm just carried along by that. But those skills were meaningless unless they served this greater mission. That was the reason I was there. That was the whole point of doing that job. It just reminded me as I thought about that, that that is the danger sometimes of phoniness, manipulation, deceit. It causes us to put up these shells, these self-protective shells, to shift our focus away from that which is good and meaningful and loving and generous to self, to self-protection, to guarding ourselves. It chips away at things like trust, which are so important for good and meaningful relationship. Deceit is, is an infectious, dangerous thing. I think it's dangerous in all relationships. It's, it causes harm throughout our world. But boy, it really causes harm in the church. When there is phoniness and hypocrisy and when it's really only about this kind of hidden agenda, not about what God is calling us to, it does such damage because of the work of the church depends so much upon trust, upon faith in that what, which is unseen, that when phoniness kind of creeps in, it can do such damage. Bob talked last week about this, the beginning of the church, this community of believers that came together in Acts chapter 2, and the remarkable thing that God was doing in this community, the work he was doing through them, and it was a great work. In fact, you hear those stories, and it's just a community we all dream of being a part of, isn't it? They had this incredible shared mission of eternal value. They were so unified around their, their love for Christ and proclaiming the truth of his resurrection. There was such generosity and love and care for one another. It's a community we dream of. But pretty quickly in their story, you read a couple chapters on an Acts, and they start encountering resistance. Because Satan would love to stop something like that from happening. And pretty quickly, resistance comes. In chapter 4, you start seeing it. In this case, it's an outside obstacle and resistance that they encounter. So James and, and Peter encounter this man at the, at the gates of the temple. And he has been unable to walk since birth. And God heals that man through them. And he is healed. And once he is healed and stands up and is walking, this person that they've 
people in the town have seen at the temple gates every day. They're just amazed, and they all start gathering around, as you would expect. And Peter sees that opportunity, and he starts proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ. Told that he starts proclaiming boldly the truth about the resurrection, using that opportunity. But then we're told that the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees and the priests saw that and were disturbed by that. And so they had Peter and James arrested. And then eventually they come before the Sanhedrin, the leading council, and are kind of being questioned, and they continue to proclaim the truth as they're being questioned. And then we're told in chapter 4, verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. So they were kind of stuck. People saw the guy walking. It's like, they're praising God for it. We'll just kind of let this go for now. So they let them go. But it's been established. This is a group that's going to be against you. They know what's coming. And I love what this young infant church does, this community of believers. Immediately you read this in chapter 4, verse 24. That when James and Peter came back and told them what had happened, this is what they all together did. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Their response was, this was a movement of God. God, we need you. If this is going to go on and stay on track, God, we need you. Because this is something that's of you. And then here's the result in chapter 4, beginning verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The mission carried on. The work carried on. They raised their voices to God, and God did this. With great power, he did this. He unified them. He gave them boldness in proclaiming the truth. He helped them to turn away from their grip on stuff, on material things, and suddenly see that people mattered more. That stuff wasn't important anymore the way it had been. Now, who cares? It'll meet the needs of people we love and care about. Matter of fact, you even see the release of their grip on stuff, even in the way they gave, right? They laid it at the apostles' feet. Because I know sometimes when we're giving something that feels big and feels like a sacrifice, we kind of want to even control how that gift is used and where it goes. They didn't. They released their grip. They laid at the apostles' feet, allowed them to decide how the needs would be met. Because God changed them individually and as a community, made them something different that they could be on their own. And the work continued on. It is a beautiful picture of God's church God's church, that this outside threat came in. This outside threat tried to stop them, and they raise their voices to God, and God protects them, and God empowers them, and God allows them to keep on going. The church was a place that was a safe place, a a refuge in this world away from greed and away from deceit because God was at work in that place.
What a remarkable thing. And then Luke goes on and says, uh, gives us an example of one of the people. Seems like there are many, but he just gives us one example. He talks about Barnabas. And he says, Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So again, just takes one of them and I think gives us that example because he's just about to show us a contrast. Want that one in your mind, what Barnabas did. Now let's tell this next story, which is a little harder story. But before I move into that story, I just want to point out this outside threat came. They looked to God for help. God gave them what they needed. And what happened is what so often happens when there's an outside threat, right? When there's an outside threat, it often binds us together even tighter. It makes us rally together, be stronger together because the threat's out there. But now there's a new threat. And that new threat is an inside threat. That is usually the more damaging threat, the one that comes from within. So we get this story of Ananias and Sapphira, which is kind of a unnerving story. It's a difficult story to hear. Um, Like any good movement of God, Satan would like to stop it. He moves from the outside to inside. And he finds a servant in Ananias and Sapphira. In fact, Peter says in verse 3 of chapter 5, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? They were being used by Satan. They were a tool for him to do what he wanted to do. Of all the things Satan could do to attack this wonderful movement of God in this community, this is how he chooses to do it. And I think because Satan knew this is a powerful weapon to to shut down, to make ineffective this work that God is doing. So so you've heard the story, what they do is Ananias comes in, you know, they sell a piece of property, they plotted together, they did this ahead of time, this wasn't impulsive, they made a plan, they plotted together to sell their property and only give a portion of it away and keep part of the money themselves and to do it secretly because they wanted the respect, I'm sure, and the praise that Barnabas was receiving for themselves. So this thing that Barnabas had done out of love for God and out of love for other people, they were now doing to gain something for themselves. It looked the same from the outside. Still giving money, still money that would meet needs. It looks the same. Seems like it accomplished the same thing. But there's something about this that is very different and dangerous. Matter of fact, even the fact it looks like the same thing but isn't makes it even more dangerous, right? Because now it creates mistrust even in the real thing because we don't know which it is. It, it makes suspect what is true because now there's something phony being offered. And so they offer that and Peter drives home when he confronts Ananias with what he's doing. He says, you know, this isn't some cult-like thing. This isn't something where you guys had to give the money. He says the money was yours, the property was yours. They were free to decide how they gave, whether they sold it, it was up to them. Why did you lie about it? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? I've been told in in verse 3 when it says that he falsified the Holy Spirit, it might better be, or lied to the Holy Spirit, it might better be translated he falsified or he belied the Holy Spirit. He took what was a movement of the Holy Spirit and he created a phony version of it. It looked like what the Holy Spirit was doing, but it wasn't. And that's what he offered up to them. And he says, why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. You perverted something so good and replaced it with something that was so not that. Something that was, instead of generous and caring and loving, something that was selfish and self-promoting. Why would you do that? You didn't have to. 
But you know, the thing that people react to in this story is God's very swift and harsh punishment and response. It is unnerving. I mean, if we're honest about it, if you read this story and it doesn't make you go, ooh, then you're not really paying attention. You know, this is, ugh. I mean, Ananias does this. It doesn't seem like that big a failure. A little lie. And he drops dead. And then his wife comes in a couple hours later and almost seems like she's entrapped, like she's asked the question again, just to see what she'll say. And she lies and plop, she's dead. It's over. And I think it's unnerving because it's really not how God commonly deals with our sin. Right? If you look throughout Scripture, this is an uncommon response. It is actually rare throughout the Old and New Testament. God does occasionally judge sin in a very swift and harsh way, but it is actually rare. And this is one of those rare times. And I think it's one of those rare times because a very strong point is being made in the infancy and the birth of this church, of the church. A very strong point is made because this is so important that we hear it. It is so important that we listen to what is happening here and take it seriously. That in this case, they receive what we all deserve to receive for our hypocrisy, but God in his mercy withholds. But in this case, he doesn't. They taste the judgment that we all deserve. Because to tell you the truth, if God did this every time there's hypocrisy in the church, there's nobody up here speaking right now, and I don't think I'm talking to anybody, even if I was, right? All of us have had moments of phoniness and hypocrisy where we have served the eyes of men more than we have served our God. We've all done that. But it is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I think this story screams it at us because it's hypocrisy, phoniness, deception is so insidious. It creeps in and it destroys without even being seen and noticed. Matter of fact, if you go to Matthew 23 and you look where Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, it's his seven woes about hypocrisy. And you will not find harsher, more condemning language from Jesus than you will find in Matthew 23. This is a problem that, that, again, God screams at us. This matters. Pay attention to this. And I think it's because the phony thing so chips away at the real thing. And, and the message from Acts chapter 5 is they heard it. It says that everybody who heard it, in verse 5, everyone who, who saw what happened, they were gripped and seized by fear. And in verse 11, it says the whole church was seized by fear. They got the message. It was driven home through this. This phoniness, this deception, it matters. Phoniness, this deception, it matters. It may look small, but it's big. And so I really just want to make three quick applications from the story. And to be honest, they're pretty simple. Uh, they're, they're, I think, easy to find applications, but I think important. One is from this story, I take the fact that the church matters. It absolutely matters to our God. It matters enough to protect it, to scream at us when there's a danger this loud and in this unnerving and harsh a way, because it matters. This is God's church. This is his, something he loves. Bob said last week that, you know, the church is described by Christ as his body, as the bride of Christ. The message there is so clear. This is something God loves, that God is in, that doesn't exist apart from him. 
It absolutely matters. And we read in that passage, when Ananias tried to deceive the church, Peter told him they had not lied to men, but to God. When he lied to the church, he was lying to God. This is God's. God is in this. This only exists because of him. It's empowered by him. It is on mission for him. When you lied to the church, you lied to God. This is about him, not just these people you see in front of you. Uh, when I think about this term, that this is the bride of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ, I, I think about the fact that, you know, my own bride, my wife, who's sitting there in the back, uh, that if, if you deceive, lie, disrespect my wife, you've done that to me. You, you've done harm to me. You've offended me. Matter of fact, I would say you've done more harm to me than if you did it directly to me, right? But think the flip side of that. Think about when someone loves your family, the people who are dearest to you and you love so much, when they love your family so well. I was thinking about a couple, I almost got to look away from Bill when I tell this story, I'll tear up. But I think about when we first came here a year, 30 years ago. When we moved here, my son was dealing with a reading uh, disability. And we were in the struggle trying to figure out do we hold him back? What do we do? And it was just real, because we'd already just moved him, and we're trying to figure that out. It was just hard uh, to do for our young son. And Happy Kurtz approached me, uh, who passed away several years ago, and I really didn't hardly know Happy. And Happy came up to me, and somehow had heard this story, and she said to me, you know, I heard about what your son's struggling with, decisions you guys are making. I'm a reading specialist with Monroe County Schools. I would be happy to meet with him. And one-on-one, she met with him for weeks. She changed the trajectory of his schooling. I mean, she really did. It had a remarkable impact on his love of reading. It completely changed through the work that she did. She didn't really know us. You know she did that? Because I was a member of her church. Because I was a pastor in her church. And it mattered to her. And she saw a need, and she stepped in and loved me. When she did that, she loved me, right? You couldn't have loved me better. I, I could list hundreds of those stories. One other I'll quickly tell. Uh, I didn't ask my wife permission, so I may get in trouble for this one. But uh, I usually do ask. But one day, Jean Royal came up to my wife. Many of you know Jean Royal, who's been homesick lately. Jean came up to my wife, and somehow she had heard the story, and I don't know how she knew. She had heard the story that my wife was wishing to get braces. But we were at that stage where we were getting braces for our daughter. We sure didn't have money to get braces for my wife. Uh, and she had heard that story, and she, got, and she almost insisted with my wife that she was going to pay for braces for her. She was going to do that for her. I got to tell you, my bond to Jean grew so much stronger after that, right? Not just because of the money, but because of the love that drove it. When you loved my wife, you loved me. When you cared for something that was important to my wife, you cared for me. We were, we were bound together in a different way afterwards. I could tell story after story after story like that in my own life. But I also could tell story after story after story like that about the people in this church towards one another. After the last service, I was out in the foyer, and people kept coming up to me telling other stories about people who had had such a remarkable impact in their life. Many of them I had never heard because no one told. The people did it did it because they simply loved the person in front of them. Uh, that changes the church. And you kind of know when it's the real thing, don't you? And if it's the phony thing, and we now don't trust the real thing anymore, 
the real thing starts to disappear. The hypocrisy and the false thing, it absolutely mattered. The church matters. This is the bride of Christ. I struggle a lot of times as a pastor to call people within the church to give up financially when there's needs in the church. I struggle to ask people to give their time and service to needs in the church. I struggle because I work here, and a lot of times it feels like I'm doing something that's self-serving. Like if I'm asking you to do it, it's, it's for me. And I, if I was a salesman, my family would starve because I have a hard time asking people to do for me. Be honest, if that's why I'm doing it, I, I am wrong. I shouldn't be doing it for that reason. But I have to remind myself constantly, no, we all need to remember this is God's church. This is the bride of Christ. This is the body of Christ. We all need to be challenged to say, remember that. Love the church. Give to its needs. Care for one another well. Sacrifice your time. This matters. This is not just some organization that you're a part of. This is the bride of Christ. When we love the bride of Christ, we love our God. When we do harm to the bride of Christ, we deceive, disrespect, do harm towards our God. So, the church matters. Uh, I know Bob drove that home last week. We'll probably drive that home throughout this series. The church matters. But I also want to say not only does the community matter, the whole matter, but each individual within the church has a very important role. Each person's part matters, and you see that in the story, right? Because Ananias and Sapphira seem to do what's such a small thing. But their impact is so big, it's so dangerous that it needs screamed against this loudly. Because it is no small thing. Every choice of those within the church matters. We have an impact. God has graciously given us the opportunity to matter in the good work he's doing and the great mission he is accomplishing through the church. The wrong we do has an impact. And I, I shudder sometimes to think of the harm I have done because of deceitful or hypocritical or phony things I've chosen. I probably have no idea the opportunities that were squashed, the negative effect that was had by the choices that, that I have made at times. But I also love the story of Barnabas that he put right before it. It's the story that says also God will use all of us if we choose to submit to him to have such an important place in the church. Every one of us, our role matters. It's easy to say, well, those are important roles or those are less important roles. But I tell you, if there's one thing I 100% believe, I absolutely believe. And as a pastor, it's easy for me to see the impact of it because I see the way people's uh, choices affect the church as a whole. There are things that some people will call insignificant that the church almost rises or falls on. That those people in the background who serve, those people who do those things that seem small and insignificant, they are just the heartbeat of the church, of this community. They are not small things. I've seen things we call big, and they matter too, right? The point is every single piece, whatever God calls you to, matters. And I would encourage you to search your hearts, to pray before God, to look what he is specifically calling you to do. Because if you don't respond to what he's calling you to do, the whole community suffers for it. Your part absolutely matters. 
The last thing I'll say is that it's not just what we do that matters, it's why we do it that matters. The motives also matter. It is easy to look at this action of Ananias and Sapphira and say, what's the big deal? They gave real money. The real money would have met real needs. People would have been fed. People would have been housed. The good would have been accomplished whether their intention was good or not. But this story again screams at us, it does matter. The motives absolutely do matter. They loved the image of being a giver more than they loved the one to whom they were giving. That matters. That's what chips away at trust in the church. That's what makes us start putting up those shields of self-protection because we can't tell the difference between the phony and the real. It matters. I, I must confess that I have many times loved the image of loving more than I've loved the one that is supposedly the object of my love. I've many times loved the image of being a good father more than I have actually in those moments loved my children. I've many times loved the image of being a good husband more than in some moments I've actually loved my wife. I've many times loved the image of being a good Christian more than many times in those moments I've loved Christ. And I many times love the image of loving the church, the community of believers, more than sometimes I've loved you. We all sometimes love the image more than the real thing. And I'm just saying it matters. In those moments, let's stop. Let's reflect. I think what Peter is saying to Ananias, better not to give. Better not to give. Now, now we never give completely pure, right? Never do we give without some wrong motive somewhere in there. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you wait to act until it's completely pure. But I'm saying motives matter. And when you feel those motives are just about you, stop. Reflect upon that. Pray about that. Seek what God would have you to do. And move in the way he calls you to move. Because that is the work that truly makes a difference. Because this whole movement of the church, what is clear in this throughout the beginning of Acts, it was something God produced. It was something that came from God. It didn't come from the will of men. God did this. And if we're not joining what he's doing, it's a waste of our time anyways. It would have been better to hold on to their money. And what I love in this story is God keeps the church on track. He keeps it going. Because if you go to Acts 5, 12 through 16, after the story of Ananias and Sapphira, everything keeps moving. There's miracles, there's healing, the the church is unified, and, and there's true love and care for one another that just continues on. It stays on track, and it stays on track because God did it. So really, the main point I want to make, probably the thing I most want to drive home here as I end, is a pretty, again, simple point. But I think it is one that is so hard for us to do. I fail at it all the time. If we truly want God's church to be what God means his church to be, if we want our role in the church to be what it's meant to be, if we want to love the people of this church well and stay on mission with God as a church, then we need to raise our voices together to God. That is absolutely essential. The church and everything it's meant to be will never be that apart from God. We need to raise our voices together to God for his church and for our part in this church. Uh, I confess, and I'm ashamed of this, that as a pastor, I far too seldom pray for the church. 
I'm much better about praying for individual needs than I am the church. But man, it matters. This is the bride of Christ. He loves it. He loves us as a community, individually, but as a community, and he wants to use us as salt and light in this world. The role we play matters because God has chosen to let it matter. So let's raise our voices together to him. Pray for his church. Pray for one another as the church. Because man, I think all of us long for the kind of church that we see here. Let's pray now. Father, I do thank you for this church. It's easy to lose track of the the stories of the church. Father, as I think back over the last 30 years, again and again and again, I see your hand in shaping this church and forming it and growing it and using it in the lives of the people here and in this community and around the world. Father, help us as a community not to lose sight of your work in this place and through this community. Help us not to lose sight of your work in your church around the world that you allow us to be a part of. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that despite ourselves, despite sometimes our phoniness and hypocrisy and failures, that, Father, you give us chances again and again to be a part of your great mission that has such eternal value. I pray you would help us to speak the truth boldly. I pray you'd help us to see one another and love one another well. I pray you'd help us to listen to your spirit and follow your calling on our lives. In your blessed name, amen.